Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Natalie Portman. Seriously, there is no Todd and Wes. It's been her the whole time. She's just that good. <laughs> Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Lady Whistledown Society Papers. Spotted, the hard-hitting journalism of the elite's dating lives with a side of sass. We implore you to pick up the latest Lady Whistledown Society Papers. Welcome, everybody, to the vessel. I am Wes. I don't understand. <laughs> and I'm Todd. I forgot for a second. One day I got to ask you where you get these. Do you make these up? No, there's a there's definitely a running theme behind every single, except for one of them. One of them does not follow the theme, but every other one runs in a very specific uh, set of rules that I live by. That, that you're not going to share because why would you why would i it's an easter it's egg. been it's been 150 episodes <laughs> now so so there's so plenty might of as well just keep it going info on it if you were to you know piece it together by now yeah you should go back and like listen to just the beginning of every single one of them like okay what and piece it together oh Jeez. yeah that's my own psychosis kind of popping out here i like it okay interesting <laughs> interesting yeah, we got a lot to cover today. So if actually, uh, actually one tiny tidbit, did you know that my favorite graffiti in Austin was the never give up graffiti that was hanging on the, the train that was painted over the train tracks? Yeah. Yeah. That got covered up. Someone, they, they call it a toy whenever someone like makes terrible graffiti. Uh, and so someone like put a toy over it and just completely jacked it up. And so, and, and when that happened, it was very upsetting. And I use that very lightly, but it sent me down this course of figuring out why, who was behind it in the first place. And there's this really great article that uh, our local newspaper did on the, the person who made that. And it was kind of wild hearing about how he had to make it because it's in a very difficult place to get to. And so he kind of had to break out like rope climbing gear and dangle over the side of a bridge while he made it. Like it was pretty dangerous. And he wasn't even living in Austin at the time. Like uh, originally he had painted something. He'd, he'd uh, put something up there and someone, the city of Austin painted over that. And so he was living like out of state uh, and he, he found out about it. He decided to fly back over the course of like a weekend uh, just to put up a new one, which became the kung fu grip style and uh, uh yes, spray yes. painting the <laughs> yeah and so it's like a really incredible story i'll link it in the show notes but um i'm hoping that he comes back and puts something else i up. was just gonna say yeah because yeah that's I'll a bet. really it makes more fun at the end of the day but that was by far my favorite graffiti in town and there's a lot of really fun graffiti for sure yeah i, I feel like it's a it's a little little on the nose for everything that's happening in austin right now i feel like austin there's a lot of stuff that's really screwing up the city and the vibe and, and the beauty of what brought me here in the first place. Yeah. Like, um, so that's par for the course for what I think is happening right now. Well said. I yeah. Completely so agree. that sucks. <laughs> nice. Anyway, yeah. what are we going to cover today? All right. Uppers. <laughs> yeah. So today, <laughs> today we are covering Goodwill Hunting. Uh, so if you haven't seen that 1997 masterpiece, go ahead and pause this episode and watch that because we're going to give away a lot of spoilers and uh, details that you otherwise might enjoy um, had you not listened to us blabber about it for an hour. For sure, Z's. Um, going to touch on a 
few things and probably more than that once we really dive into it, but definitely going to talk a lot about the story and writing Boston as a character itself and how this is a character driven film versus a plot driven film. And we'll also discuss the climax and the ending uh, as well as mood and music and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. Will Hunting, a janitor at MIT, has a gift for mathematics, but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. Directed by Gus Van Zant, written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, cinematography by Jean Ives Escoffier, starring Robin Williams as Sean, Matt Damon as Will Hunting, Ben Affleck as Chucky, Casey Affleck as Morgan, Stellan Skarsgård as Lambo, and Minnie Driver as Skyler. If you don't love me, you should just tell me because it's such a... I love you. Then why? Why won't you come? What are you so scared of? What am I so scared of? Well, what aren't you scared of? You live in this safe little world where no one challenges you and you're scared shitless oh, no. to do anything don't, else. Don't, don't tell me about my world. Don't tell me about my world. I mean, you just want to have your little fling with, like, the guy from the other side of town. Then you're going to go off to Stanford. You're going to marry some rich prick who your parents will approve of and just sit around with the other trust fund babies and talk about how you went slumming too once. Why are you saying this? What is your obsession with this money? My father died when I was 13 and I inherited this money. You don't think every day I wake up and I wish that I could give it back, that I would give it back in a second if it meant I could have one more day with him. But I can't, and that's my life, and I deal with it. So don't put your shit on me when you're the one that's afraid. I'm afraid. What, what, what am I afraid of? What the fuck am I afraid of? You're afraid of? of me. You're afraid that I won't love you back. You know what? I'm afraid too. Fuck it. I want to give it a shot, and at least I'm honest with you. I'm not honest with you? No, what about your 12 brothers? No, you're not going. You're not leaving. What do you want to know? What? That I don't have 12 brothers? Yeah. That I'm a fucking orphan? Yeah. No, you don't want to hear I that. I didn't know no, that. No, you don't want to hear that. You don't I want to hear that I got it. fucking cigarettes put out of me when I was a little kid. No, I didn't know that. this that. isn't fucking surgery, that the motherfucker stabbed me. You don't want to hear that shit, Skylar. I don't, do want to Don't tell that. me you want to hear that I shit. I want to hear it because I want to help you because I help want to be with you. Help me? What the fuck? What do I got? A fucking sign on my back that says save me? No. Do I look like I need that? No, God, I just want to be with don't you because I love you. Don't bullshit me. Don't you fucking bullshit me. I love you. I want to hear you say that you don't love me. Because if you say that, then I won't call you. And I won't be in your life. I don't love you. Yelling scenes in films can be hard, especially in the drama, actually, just because you run a real risk of being just melodramatic for the sake of itself. And so you have to kind of earn those moments. And what makes that a particularly good moment is not just all the build up to it, you know, all the all the dodging that Will has been doing their entire time together. Um, but it's many drivers, you know, performance and, and how we're living through her reaction, the surprise and uh like her face, like everything she's doing in her face is just completely heartbreaking. And we're identifying with her as much as we're upset or our hearts are breaking for Will. Like 
where it's such a good contrast and combination because uh, this is all new information from her and and Will's over here just throwing it at her instead of like sharing it you know it, it becomes a weapon for him um as, as part of you know what we find out i, I think in the next scene where he, him and uh, sean kind of discuss like uh have their breakthrough so to speak yeah anyway um are you is this <laughs> are you a fan of this movie or is this just this is like a great a, movie man yeah. this is a great great movie great movie all around and it's it's so intriguing you know, watching this as a, um, you know, a starting point for such huge name actors, you know, going back and, and watching this again and realizing, okay, they wrote this, like they, you know, they sat down and together crafted what I would call, you know, like, um, like a masterpiece, you know, more or less, right. Yeah. At least in some regards. Yeah. And they made their own, their own way, you know, which is awesome. I think they can identify, they wrote it from a place that they could identify with, you know, very well. Right. And, um, and I think it really shows, um, that scene in particular, I mean, was very on character, I think like, and that's part of why I, I think that they can get away with the yelling. Cause I totally agree with you, like yelling in films, like you, you, you also, yes, run the risk of being melodramatic just for the sake of it, but also overacting. It's very easy yeah. to just, you know, okay, I'm, I'm just going to yell, but forget my purpose. You know, I'm just going to be as loud as I can. Right. Well, no, you have to have purpose behind your yelling, right. Yeah. Or else it's just yelling. And I think that they pulled that off really well because by setting up the fact that Will is a fighter, right. He's, you know, we basically opened the movie with him fighting. Right. And throughout the whole thing, he's like looking for fights. He picks fights, hmm. whether it's, you know, verbally or physically. And with Skylar, he can't verbally fight. He can't mentally fight with her, right? Like she's brilliant herself, uh, maybe not on par with him, but when it comes to discussion and stuff, I think probably not math or anything, but like, you know, just communication. Which is to your point, uh, is demonstrated when they're at the cafe and he, he starts to try to pin her down. Like, what do you, what does that mean? A guy like me? And she's, and she calls him on it. She's like a guy that yeah. spends his time drinking and, Working in construction. That's who. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know you. I see you. Yeah. I'm going to let you know that. He So he can't fight with her mentally and he can't fight with her physically. I mean, he does push her against the wall, I guess. And I, I remember when I watched that, I was like, whoa, whoa, okay, what's going on? But he can't physically do anything. So all he has is his, his volume. That's all, that's all he knows, right? It's either fighting or getting beat up or, or picked on physically or it's verbally being yelled at. And so he's kind of giving her back what he got a lot of growing up. So I think it's warranted. And I think his, his, his acting screams that, you know, I think, I mean, he was probably pretty green doing this movie. So I'll bet there's a lot of direction in that, but I don't know, maybe not. Cause he's just a great actor um, anyway. So. Yeah. And so people may forget like a few years before this, he had a really big role in another film called school ties opposite yeah. Brendan Fraser. And uh, what I didn't realize though, was both Cole Hauser who plays one of his buddies and Ben Affleck are both in that as well. And that just kind of blew my, cause I, I recently watched that like, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. And I was just like, Whoa, that's the, the almost the whole gang. Casey Affleck is the <laughs> only person missing here. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Which I, I also love that Casey's in this film too. Yeah. And he's, 
Yeah. Little brother. And, and, uh, Jenny watched this with me too. Jenny's my wife. Watch it with me too. And, and the, the moment at the end where Will is not there anymore and Casey jumps in the front seat, Jenny was like, Oh, that's his little brother. <laughs> she just like wept. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's a great scene. I'm glad you picked that. I, I think that Mini Driver just m- destroys her role in this as well. I think yeah. she's fantastic. She sells it. I love her uh, during this whole movie. Um, she's so cool. And, you know, like she has a great sense of humor which guys love. I mean, she's just the whole, she's brilliant, like the whole package. Right. And she's, she's everything that we want to tell. We want to shake Will and and tell him, what are you doing, man? Don't screw this up. Right. And that's the point. We want to feel this. We, you know, it's not just another girl. It's something more. It's something special, something that like, not just Will, but a lot of us would look for as, as males or as females, whatever would, would look for in a mate. Right someone that gets us that understands us that sees us that's that's hilarious and fun to be around that um also can be loving and you know all the things and she delivers like in spades for sure 100 yeah. um, we haven't even gotten to robin williams know, so. yeah what do you what do you think about like sean uh played by mr williams yeah because this you know this is the the end of our little uh, trilogy of robin williams films and um, he, he plays a much bigger part than in these, you know, last couple films. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. How do you, how does he sit with you in, in this? Uh, I mean, <laughs> a softball, that's just a T-ball right there. Yeah, it's a softball <laughs> of softballs, right? Uh, it's a wiffle ball is what yeah. it is. Uh, he's, he is the movie. Yeah. Replace anyone else. Yep. Right. Yep. There, it's very hard to play. It's very hard to be, I would imagine, I've never had to do it, but I could imagine it'd be very hard to play a therapist in a film. A therapist that's supposed to have a, a breakthrough with someone who is impossible to break through and be believable for us, the viewer, because you kind of like uh, Skylar, where we want, you know, the movie wants us to love her. The movie also wants us to want to open up, to open up to Sean. Um, so it's, it's very hard. I mean, you, you yeah. kind of have to already have that established the first time you see him. And one of the only ways, or one of the best ways to do that is for it to already be an actor that you know and love. Mm. You know, Vin Diesel in this film, not so much. You know, he could be the best actor in the world, but I'm not like going to spill my bean, want to spill my beans to Vin Diesel, you know? So yeah, I, I he he destroyed it. I think that specifically, obviously the the scene that he probably won the award for, the scene in the park, is one of the best monologues ever. Uh, and you know, it's so simple. You know that that moment is it's like basically a wonder. It's pretty much a wonder. There's like a couple of lines at the, towards the end where they, they cut from or whatever, but the whole thing is basically a wonder. And it's, I love how they set it up too. If I could just talk to that for just a second, mm-hmm. they, you basically have three sh- or two shots, three, if you count the end, but the end is just the same as the beginning, right? Uh, more or less. Yeah. We, we have our establishing that's wide. It's just a basic quick master to establish when the park. And then we're looking at will as he's establishing his 
personality once again being an ass um he's like no oh, you have a swan fetish or whatever joke he makes <laughs> do we need to spend some time about that and then boom like you said we are on robin sean as he delivers this four and a half minute monologue like that's a long section of him just yeah i guess what i'm trying to get at is that it's the establishing like you said but then we we are not in a space anymore Mm -mm. it's full frontal in their face all you see is face right they're super close up um there is no one around us there could be a hundred people around us, but there is no one around us. Yeah. There are not even ducks. There's not a pond. There's no grass. They're not sitting on a bench. It's literally just face. Um, they don't allow, and that's part of the thing that's beautiful about it. They don't allow any interruption or any way that you could possibly be taken out of the moment. You know, there are other monologues that you see sometimes where, you know, they're you can see stuff around the, the person or you hear something or, or whatever. There's little things that are distracting, but they made sure there's nothing distracting here. And it was beautiful and perfect. And then the last shot at the end where it's just Will sitting there and Sean is gone, right? First we establish them both and then we see them talk and then it's just Will alone. It's, it's a perfect scene. And I think that that monologue is so beautiful because it's something that, it's something that I don't think that you know, you even have to sit down and really memorize, you know, like think about it in terms of like uh, being an actor and having a monologue. And this is probably not a good monologue to do because everybody knows it. But if nobody did know this, you could probably, you could probably sit down and just think about that feeling and say similar words. It might not be exact, you know, but you'd say similar words and, and, and similar feelings. Like if, if you went through war and somebody, you know, if you were in Sean's place, right. And I think that you'd come up with that. And that's what makes it brilliant is that it's not, it doesn't feel scripted. It doesn't feel like something where, where, oh, I'm an actor and I've memorized these lines. It feels like something that a normal person that was smart and with it and wanted to help someone else would say. And, um, and of course he just delivers it. I mean, in incredibly. And, um, yeah, he's, he's fantastic in the film. I mean, when he gets mad, you believe him when he's sad, you believe him when he's, when he's laughing, you're laughing with him. Uh, it's perfect. Just perfect. Yeah. And just to linger a little bit more on that park monologue, because it's, it's the best part of the entire movie. I mean, this, I love this entire yeah. movie, but, uh, it's just so absolutely magical. Just a couple notes. Like, Will, I think it's important that he starts with the jokes because we need to establish that he's still trying to wrestle control away from Sean. But as we dial in on Sean, as we do that long, slow take, that is a wonder. This is like we're not cutting around in order to get the best of Robin Williams. No, Robin Williams sat there and freaking delivered. But it's important because... Sean gently takes control of the whole uh, relationship, which Will initially is like kind of talking a little bit, right? After he makes his jokes, uh, Sean starts asking him questions. You, you've probably never been out of the country or whatever he says. And um, he's like, nope, you know, but as the more Sean talks, the quieter Will gets. And by the end, he is speechless and he is just left to kind of sit there and ponder his life and um, what he wants to do next. Um, and, I think you're right for a number of reasons about uh, that monologue being perfect and being, you know, easy to memorize to some extent is because it builds so organically. It builds on 
one thing after another. And it has this very uh, simple setup and, and, and payoff because Sean begins by saying, I admitting to, to will like, Hey, you got in my head. I thought a lot about what you said to me, you know, and then something occurred to me and then I just slept peacefully. And here's what I here Here are the thoughts. And so you have this uh, kind of tease at the beginning. Like I had a thought um, after you destroyed me that allowed me to get to, to rest peacefully. And here's what occurred to me. Um, and he just builds on this, all of his experience. Here's all the things I've experienced that you have never experienced. Um, and there's something interesting about that whole sequence um, because there's, there's this, uh, I don't know if you, if you want to call it a philosophical question that's called the problem with Mary's room. And this is recently been, uh, you know, used in the idea about artificial intelligence, but you could use this in, in a lot of circumstances. And the idea is this, uh, there's a girl named Mary and she's stuck in this black and white room, but within this room, she has all the knowledge she could possibly need to understand everything about color. She understands, you know, how many colors there are, the way your light, you know, reflects into your eyes and how many cones there are in your eye and the wavelengths of every single color and how it impacts everything about life. And so there is not a single thing you could tell Mary about color that she doesn't already know. Nothing. Yet, when she walks out of her black and white room and then she sees color for the first time, she sees a red apple. Has she learned anything new? And so it's asking this very simple question about experience. Like, does experience bring something new to you that you otherwise could never learn through any amount of information, any amount of data? And that's very effectively what Sean is trying to get at with Will. He's trying to communicate something so simple that you think you know everything. And to some degree, maybe you do. But because you have yet to experience any of it, it's, it's just data. It doesn't matter. And it holds no weight, not only with me, but with the rest of the world either, because right now you're just sitting in timeout. And it becomes kind of a very establishing way of getting inside Will's head. For us, the audience too, you know, if you allow yourself to think about it, the film is very deft at just kind of moving you through his world. Um, but if you really begin to understand the way he operates uh, in his life, you'll begin to understand why he's afraid of experience because of course, all his early childhood experience was very uh, uh, unhealthy. And so, yeah, and just as another side note, this there's there's several of these really long monologues uh, throughout the film. We, we not only have this one, of course, we have the one with uh, Ben Affleck whenever uh, Chucky goes to, to be like his, his business associate. Um, in that meeting, so good. which is hilarious. It's perfect. Um, but then you also have the other one uh, with Will as you know, he's talking about uh, his job interview and he's just pointing out a thousand reasons why uh, he shouldn't take that job. And so what's important about those from a cinematography standpoint is, you know, your, your team has to be on point because these long, slow moves also mean you have to be flawless if you're going to keep the entire take. You know, you can't you know, jumble the camera or uh, screw up the focus too badly. You know, you got to be really, really well on top of it, uh, which also encourages you to simplify the shot where you can 
in order to minimize the risk of screwing up the take. Because uh, that's the last thing you want to do is have Robin Williams deliver an Oscar worthy performance. And then uh, yeah. your, your, your first AC is like, uh, can I get one more for safety? <laughs> like, no, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, continue. What did like, you think of? What, no, no. What did you think of the film? Oh, man. What, how, you, how is your feeling? So now? for me, oh, this is a perfect movie. And I'm not saying it should be that way for everybody. But for me and what I want out of a movie, I think this is a perfect film. Like there's nothing I would change. And it's not that there isn't superfluous elements to the film. Like it kind of gets at, at the heart of the film. This is a character driven film um, instead of a plot driven film. Like there's really no plot per se. I mean, even that synopsis that you read is pretty kind <laughs> in its uh, summary. Yeah. Like it's. It's a it's a story about a, a troubled kid and we're just kind of dipping into his world. And that's not to say that scenes don't have a purpose. Don't mistake those two things. You know, a scene can have a purpose without being meaningful to the plot. Um, they're all there to kind of add context and texture to, to Will's life. And sometimes just as a means of uh, building depth of uh, our relationship to these characters. Like if you look at the bar scene between... Uh, Will introducing Skylar to his friends. Uh, you have this silly joke or story that Chucky's telling everybody uh, about his his dad. That joke has absolutely you know no bearing on the plot or the the progression of this film. Like we could have easily have just uh, jumped to a montage of them all hanging out together. But instead, what it does give you is buy into their relationship is, oh, uh, we're now having Skylar becoming a part of his, his life as he's introducing someone to his friends. And uh, and now when that scene ends and we're kind of feeling that ripped away, there's an emotional, you know, pull out at the at the audience. Uh, and so there's there's emotional reasons for that that story, even though there's no plot driven reasons for that story. And that's a, a, you know, important distinction, I think, because it can be very tempting to only want to ever focus on plot. And that's just not with this movie, this movie. And so, yeah, I, for me, this is a perfect movie because I love conversation and uh, discovery of people. And this film is all about that. It's all about discovering Will and and not just him, though. We discover uh, Sean and his relationship with uh, Lambeau. Uh, we discover Skylar, you know, slowly. We don't know that, you know, the only reason she can afford Harvard is because her dad passed away when she was 13. I don't get the impression that Will even knew that <laughs> because yeah. right before that, he's talking about and you'll marry the 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 guy your parents are happy with and it's like eh, she doesn't mm -hmm. have her parents she has maybe one parent yeah. and so yeah i love all the discovery of uh and, and and texture and the the camaraderie and um i love the the recognition of sean trying to school lambo who is a great character lambo is such a good character and he provides so much opportunity for frustration and you know a, a way to, to demonstrate and fight for will through a well-meaning dad, right? He's kind of, the parents are fighting again. He's the dad that is just a jerk and is just trying to uh, get his son to do the right thing. And, you know, Sean is the mom that's, you know, fighting for the emotional wealth and, and uh, stability of her kid. Yeah, 
I don't know, man, <laughs> none of this yeah. is even remotely touching, you know, all the, the notes and stuff, but I, yeah. So for me, this just works on every level, man. So who do you, who do you side with? Do you side with one or the other? Uh, very much Sean. Like I would think, you know, if I had kids that I really wouldn't care what it is they pursued as long as they loved it. I feel like that's kind of what how if they pursued nothing. Yeah, that would probably bother me. <laughs> like that's 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 the point. Yeah, that's no, that's true. Um, that's hard. It is hard. I would say that if I sensed that there was something wrong uh, emotionally, that was the reason they weren't like trying something in life. Uh, then I would probably, you know, start trying to help them through that. But if it was like this completely healthy kid. Uh, that was just not doing anything with their life. I would probably be, yeah, be a lot more like Lambo, where I'm just like, no, 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 hey, you need to get out. And at that point, I'm probably the the hard ass, where I'm like, no, nope, you're out of the house, go figure it out. I don't care, go yeah. fail, go be homeless. Yeah. Like you're gonna figure something right. out. Um, and I mean, that's, I I got all of those things. Uh, frankly, I didn't. Ha- I'm not saying I had the, uh, a very healthy childhood. <laughs> I relate to Will in so many ways, but at the same time, like my mom never challenged me whenever I was pursuing something. Like it was always, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm. I love sports. I love music. I love uh, writing. Like it was always encouragement, uh, or at least mm-hmm. you know, at worst, you know, antipathy. <laughs> like it's just like, yeah, <laughs> uh, fine, cool, just whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I was never yeah, condemned yeah, yeah. for it. Whereas, uh, and I was also like, hey, you got to figure it out. Like I, all my life has been me figuring it out more or less, you know, on my own uh, with the help of friends for sure, you know, um, but I've never had much in the way of like fallback. Like there's been very rare mm-hmm. times whenever I even tried to use fallbacks and it's been good. You need that in life if you're doing what I do mm-hmm. and just abandoning all and going for it. But, you know, you try to reduce those when, when you can, which is which is honorable, by the way, that's like something pretty badass about like just saying, fuck it. I'm doing what I want to do no matter what. Come hell or high water. And I think that's what, what will if we're going to like just imagine what comes next for Will. Mm-hmm. There's a magic to where he came from because he, he had nothing like he had, he had nothing to miss. Mm-hmm. He has nothing uh, to fear because if you go and find, you go get some $83,000 job that allows you to parse code for the department of defense or whatever, you know, and you're not happy with that. Who cares? Quit, go, you know, go couch surf or whatever. There's nothing that you can do to terrify will. And I think that's his secret mm-hmm. weapon that he is yet to utilize. Nothing can, can like knock the seat out from under him anymore. Uh, he's yeah. experienced the worst that life has to throw at him. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, I, I, I identify with both, right? I, mm. this is the whole, <laughs> this is the same question we keep asking, right? Yeah. Like, do, do you, do you need the asshole in order to fi- get the most out of, you know, your talent, every, yeah. like some, t- some special person. Right. Yeah. And, um, I think the answer is yes and no, right? Because you're going to have both, right? Yeah. Um, but it's wonderful that he has the choice, right? He has the dad who's pushing him hard and he has the, the, the mom or vice versa, however you want to say it, the other parent, um, quote unquote, that is telling him, do whatever you want. 
you know, you can't get it wrong. And, and I think that's, that's like for the first time in his life, he's, he's got, he's got both sides put, you know, in, in his, their own way, pushing him in whatever direction. And, you know, obviously Sean wins uh, if, if one wins. (laughs) Um, But it's just, it's intriguing because I'm, I'm like, so I think about my kid, right. About my son. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, man, because we do homeschool right now because of COVID until the end of the year, which is so soon. Oh my gosh. It cannot come soon enough. And I tell him, because it's he's really hard for him to pay attention and yeah. really hard for him to do his his work and stuff. Which is why you constantly say, Man, strike him in the face. Like I can't believe you do that. I just it's, all it's, day. <laughs> I just tell it <clears throat> in all seriousness. I I tell him I tell him, bro, I don't care if you get it wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't care that get every question wrong. Fine, but if you don't try, that's when I get upset. So when you don't try, all you got to do is try. If I yeah. see you trying, I don't give a shit what happens. I don't say that, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, I say, I don't care what happens. And that's, I think that's really an important thing. It's, it's my, it may be kind of like the balance between Sean and hmm. uh, what is it? Lambo. Yeah. yeah. Forget names. I'm so bad with names. And Lambo is, is, is that it's like, man, you don't have any idea what you have. So don't squander it. Like, just try, just try. Like, please, if you, if you hate it or fail, who gives a shit? But if you're not trying, then we go over to the side of, of, of Sean and it's like, well, okay, then you haven't experienced life. You know, Yeah. how will you know if you don't try, but at the same time, you know, you don't do something that you hate. So it's kind of like, I mean, I try to, I, I guess I try to teach my son the combination of both. So maybe we need both in this, in this scenario, you know, at least in this movie we do. And it's wonderful to see, to see Will and Lambeau at the beginning, really like hitting it off with math. Like, Oh, oh, okay. He's found his place, you know, like even Lambeau, you know, pats him on the head. Which is funny. Will's reaction to that is like, that was a little condescending. Um, but Okay, I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. And then he keeps doing it. Yeah. He like keeps putting his hand on his head. <laughs> it's like, like oh, a little far. Um, but and even even Lambo's assistant uh, was he just rolled his eyes like, yeah. oh my god. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I I love the the development of those relationships, right? Even if it's just slight, like that's the only moment you see where Will is like okay with this kind of relationship with Lambo is that pat on the head. You don't really, he doesn't say anything like, Hey, it's cool that we're doing math together. Like he doesn't, you know, it's just, he's, he's allowing Lambo to touch him in that way. Um, because they have this math thing in common, but, but that's it. And it's, and I think it's important to have a little bit, but not too much because later on when he's hugging, uh, Sean, it's like completely, you know, this is, this is my, this is my people, or, you know, Totally. Anyway, you want to hit some of your notes? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, one other small. I think you touched on a few of them, but yeah, I've already kind of. Uh, and well, I, I have a ton of notes that I won't get into just because uh, <laughs> I took a lot of notes on this film. I didn't expect to. Actually, twenty minutes in, I was terrified. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to get anything out of this. I'm going to do an entire episode on like one of my favorite movies ever and what I call it the perfect movie, and I'm going to have nothing." So like all the terror just <laughs> hit me. And then at that point I felt like, okay, well there's nothing left to lose. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
There you go. Then you got in a car and you drove across country. <laughs> That's right. I'm, 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 yeah. in, I'm on my way to California right now. Um, <laughs> and so one other note on the cinematography. I love that little slow-mo fight sequence whenever they, you know, attack oh, yeah. Will's, one of Will's uh, childhood, you know, attackers. And I love it because it's a creative and simple way to kind of stage a fight scene. I'm sure it, you know, in some way served a need on, on production. Um, maybe like, hey, we don't know how to like, do a really big brawl because I think if you start going that direction of we're going to have like a five on five, you know, all out outsiders fight, uh, then we don't know how to unwind that. <laughs> Whereas if you kind of do these little vignettes of, oh, there's a little fight over here, there's a moment over here and you shoot that in slow-mo, I think it eases up the requirements of shooting that kind of scene um, because now you know, this punch that would otherwise take, you know, 12 frames can now fill out six, five or six seconds. Uh, and you only need a handful of those to really sell the sequence. Uh, and so figuring it out and it just looks cool. They do it in this very strange way where it looks like maybe they're shooting it in slow-mo, but they also have the actors moving in slow-mo. And so they kind of ramp mm -hmm. in and out of that. Uh, and it's just fascinating. I don't know. I, I'm, don't think I've seen anything else like that before. Yeah. Especially like Casey Affleck's punch whenever he's, we're looking up at him yeah. and he does his face, uh, the satisfied, like, yeah, I just got him in the, the, the kisser. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what so, is this, the forties? Yeah. And so looking at some of the uh, story and writing though, yeah. first I thought it was interesting just to kind of touch on the script as a, as a thing in of itself. So at the beginning of the film, it says that it's written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I will see if I can link something. I don't want to spend too much time on just them creating the script. My roommate is fascinated with the idea that uh, they wrote this through performing it. Like, I don't know that this is true. I couldn't find anything. So take this as apocryphal. But he swears that he saw an interview way back in the day about them discussing how they wrote it and they would talk about a scene and then act it out and then write it and then keep acting it out and honing it that way through performing it instead of just, Hey, let's just write the scene that they'd maybe start with uh, a goal or an objective of the scene uh, and then creatively figure it out, you know, along the way. But I do know that this script started as a, uh, a project in a screenwriting uh, class in college for Matt Damon. Like he wrote this, I think it was like 40 pages or something. And then he really liked it and decided to keep developing it. Um, and I think one scene survived intact. Everything else was a complete, you know, do over. But the other interesting thing was they wrote it, but the ending came from someone else. Uh, they were, I forget who it was. Oh, it was Kevin Smith. I want to say, uh, and again, check the show notes guys. I'm always screwing stuff up. So I try to fix my mistakes in the show notes. So if you hear me say something stupid, check the show notes just in case I clarify um, or recant because uh, I do do that every once in a while. And speaking of which, stay tuned for Tree of Life where I revisit the whole natural light versus available light discussion. Anyway, <laughs> so Kevin Smith, they approached Kevin Smith and they were like, hey, we have this script. 
And he's like, hey, this is really good. You need a real director. <laughs> he like just shot himself down. He was like, you need someone who's actually really good. That's um, so Kevin Smith. It's so Kevin Smith. I love that guy. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, <laughs> and they went through and, you know, looked for directors and eventually landed on Gus Van Sant, uh, who's incredible. And I think this is our second Gus Van Sant film. Uh, Finding Forrester was the other one I think we've done. Yes. 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 Yeah. And so the ending came from him, you know, even though he didn't he didn't get a writing credit and that's an interesting thing about writing credits is you have to make up a certain portion of the script whether it's story or the actual screenplay like kevin smith never touched the screenplay and so he couldn't get a screenplay credit uh, but it wasn't nearly enough to i think you have to have a third of the story in order to you know get a story by credit and so in this case the entire idea and con and, and screenplay was both by matt damon and ben affleck therefore they get all the the credit and you can reduce it to a written by credit which in and of itself becomes this whole thing like when is there a written credit versus a screenplay by credit it's a it's a thing anyway but i just think it's fascinating just the way that people do or do not receive credit based on like a chunk of the film like uh but I think the cooler thing is Kevin Smith really didn't give a shit. He was just, he saw a cool story and he's like, Hey, here's an idea for you. Um, and they were like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I think the idea was just, he should leave and go, go pursue Skyler. That should be the, the ending mm -hmm. of the film. And so anyway, kudos to Mr. Smith for his voice. Absolutely. In, in this film. But Boston as a character is really significant and just a quick tour through it, like all the locations we kind of hit because this was filmed both in Boston and in uh, Ontario, Canada. And so not everything was actually shot in Boston, but I think most, if not all the exteriors probably were. But, you know, we were at MIT, uh, which is the interior shot in like uh, Ontario as well, some school up there. But you get this feeling that you're in Boston through the bar and the use of MIT, even if not literally, you know, uh, through the image of it, like, hey, why did you choose to go to MIT? And, you know, this MIT professor and they're constantly invoking uh, MIT, which is the most prestigious, you know, technical college in the world. You know, they go to the batting cages. It's a baseball town. And so they we do a lot, you know, with baseball, the batting cages, the Little League game, Red Sox footage discussing, you know, the Red Sox in and of itself. Uh, we go to a Harvard bar. We sit in the street side cafe that's in the middle of wherever Dorchester or wherever they are. We go to this construction site because it's a blue collar town. And so they're constantly lots of street shots. They're driving around town and um, the distinct housing style. Um, and so it really sells the location in so many ways, not just, you know, physically, but in spirit by, you know, referencing Harvard and MIT, uh, the accents, of course. And so they're really selling the location and the characters, which grounds us in their world. And I think that's really important, uh, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Another part of the script or the writing was Will as a character is a tough one uh, for so many reasons, uh, because he's not just a math genius. He has all these other elements to him, but as far as his intelligence, he's not just a math genius. And it's funny because the synopsis described him as that, but he's so much more. Uh, and so we kind of need to see the extent of his abilities. And so throughout the film, we're constantly getting these demonstrations of his vast intelligence. 
right? Uh, we obviously start with the MIT math puzzle, which puts mm -hmm. him on the radar of the professor. But then we drop over to the Harvard bar where he gives a history lesson to this douchebag, which isn't really even technically a history lesson. It's a book report. And it's so much better than a history lesson because he's dressing down this guy's method of intelligence and showing off, uh, which is this whole bigger esoteric uh, perspective on not just intelligence, but Harvard students as a whole. Like he's just completely ripping the book cover off this kid. Uh, and it's perfect. And the other thing I love about that scene is the douchebag uh, that he's, you know, berating in front of everybody. Uh, I love his reaction. He, he actually gives a really great performance because he just watches. Mm -hmm. He doesn't overreact. And it's so tempting there to, to try to put on this facade and performance of, oh, man, I'm really getting shown up. Instead, he, he stays in character and his character is just still superior in his heart. He still thinks he's better than this kid. And it. It's so good because it just lets Matt Damon say the lines, which is doing all the work. The heavy lifting is already done in the script itself. Just say the lines, just watch him say the lines, and then you're going to say your lines and the work is done. You don't have to do a damn thing. It's there. And this is very David Mamet. This is a very David Mamet thing to say uh, of me. But I, in this case, completely agree. Uh, the The lines have done all the heavy lifting. All they need to do is show up and say them. And I think it's perfect. I totally agree. I, I noticed that guy in that scene. For, for whatever reason, I just thought, man, that was really good acting. And I wasn't talking about Ben Affleck. Yeah. Like his, yeah, his lack of reaction, as you said, is like, perfect because what do you do i mean you can't you cannot respond to in reality right not in a movie but in reality you can't respond to that there is no response and so any kind of any kind of emotion or anything means means i've succumbed to that person so you might as well just you know okay I'm going my way. No, nope, I don't want to go outside. We're good. Yeah, exactly. And that's Very the good point. He resorts to the one thing that he has, which is class. He resorts to a class fight. Ah, good point. Yeah. But then <laughs> Will resorts to the thing that he has, which is also his class, yeah. which is his fist. <laughs> and that's when he yeah. finally walks away. He's like, okay, I think I've thoroughly lost this discussion. <laughs> yes. I'm gone. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, absolutely perfect. And as far as demonstrating the intelligence through the writing, uh, of course, we go to, to court where Will makes a very articulate argument to defend himself. And it's it's very perfect. But of course, the judge rips up, rips the rug out from under him, which is perfect because it also reveals Will's background as an orphan with a history of abuse. It's very slick exposition through the judge. It's so clever because uh Everything up to that point could be making you believe that, oh, Will's about to use his wit once again to, to get off the hook. Um, and instead, the judge acknowledges his history. And he's like, I can see why everyone lets you off the hook all the time um, because of I, you know your rap sheet and your background. It's building a very quick and easy mental image of who Will is that fits right in line with everything we've experienced about him up until that point. Uh, but then as a judge will do, he's like, but in this case, you hit a cop, you're going to jail. Doom, like you're gone. Oh, it's, it's, it's very smart though. I love the way they slip in the exposition uh, through that scenario. Incredibly smart. And his response is actually pretty interesting too. Just thank you, sir. <laughs> he says something like that. Just like he almost like he expected it, yeah. you know, 
or or whether he expected it or not, he's just like, okay, that's it. It's done. It's yeah. over. And I think most most people would be like, at least have some kind of emotion or or you know, like I don't I don't know, Begging something, but whining. not I mean it was immediate. It yeah. was straight like like, all right, we're done. Let's go. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you're right, because it he kind of just he's like, Okay, I, I played my cards, I didn't win. That's fine. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> And then, of course, we also um, what what's funny after that uh, in terms of Will's character is he uses his one phone call to call Skyler. Like, yeah, it it builds a lot of depth in his character to say that he's reckless, but you know what? He's also kind of charming. Like, that's that's a mm-hmm. ballsy thing to do because <laughs> mm-hmm. what does he got? He's just like, eh, I'll whatever comes comes. And then we see another demonstration of uh, intelligence through therapy. Like, and this is important because up until this point, we've definitely seen him like use his actual intelligence through knowledge books. Uh, But in this case, we start to see something else, which is he reads the therapist book. Right. And then he reads the subtext because Will isn't just like a numbers freak or an information freak. He's emotionally intelligent. And so he gets in the room and then he calls out the, 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 the therapist. Right. Shakes him calls him out for being, you know, potentially gay. And that creates a whole chain reaction that gets exactly what Will wants, uh, which is out of the room. Like you said it really well earlier. He goes around looking for fights and this is just easy pickings. Oh, mm-hmm. I have a therapist who thinks he's here to like uncover everything about me. Well, I'm going to uncover everything about them instead. And so from that first guy, we go to the next guy who's a hypnotherapist. And of course, Will humiliates him and, rightly so um but then like, i had afternoon delight in my head the rest of the night just by night. the way it does not go away <laughs> yeah no that's is that what you call a, a earworm yes yes <laughs> and then of course finally he runs into a brick wall uh, which is sean especially that first meeting because will does what he does with the other therapist and he tries to pick him apart and Sean simply does not accept this. <laughs> your, your armchair analysis is not going to go well. Uh, he doesn't just storm out. Instead, he violently chokes him, uh, which is not technically good therapy practice um, or, or, or normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. As, as you might you know anticipate. And so, you know, that kind of shakes Will for sure. And of course, it shakes uh, Sean as well because he's like, no, no, no. I'll, I'll take him. We're going to work through this. And it, it kind of brings him back to life because uh, as we learn, Sean is reeling from the death of his own wife um, and dealing with his own emotional problems, which is always good in a, in a therapy film, uh, which is a thing uh, you do want that you want to see not just the person in therapy getting healed, but you want to see the therapist himself dealing with his own demons. Um, and so that's a very significant and intelligent uh, approach to this. And then, I'm, I mean, we see it, uh, other demonstrations of intelligence throughout the film, like his, at a glance, right? He does Skylar's homework, uh, her chemistry homework. Are you mad? No one reads chemistry for fun. Um, and so, <laughs> et cetera. But I, I think that'll, you know, bring us to the whole idea that this is a character driven film. So normally if, if you wanted to turn this into a plot driven film, you might turn it into how can uh, Will get out of legal trouble? And then it becomes 
a question of him trying to balance all these things. Can he balance his job versus his therapy versus the, uh, the math stuff? And you can still have tons of drama through that, but we don't care about that. Like that's only lightly invoked at the end of the film. Like once we establish everything and why he's doing what he's doing, like that doesn't come until like the very end of the film where Lambo's like, Hey, if he misses another one, like I can't be held responsible if he lands him back in jail. Like that's been so far from our mind. Uh, another avenue, I guess, could, if you were going to make this a plot thing, would be him chasing Skyler, like trying to win the girl. Uh, and that's not really there. We just kind of spend time with them. And so instead, this is character driven, which I think could probably, depending on the film, show up in a variety of ways. Uh, but in this case, I think we go and do things based on Will's decisions, uh, not to advance a plot, um, but to advance character and advance depth. So in order to do that, we often put Will in situations to see how he responds and, or just to, to experience, you know, his worldview. Um, and so, for instance, he goes on a successful date, but does he follow up? No. In fact, uh, before he has a conversation with, with Sean, um, he goes out in the rain and he makes that phone call and he hangs up, doesn't even try. And then, of course, he lies to his friends about it. Right. He's like, I forgot the number. What? If there's one thing Will Hunting is not yeah. going to do. <laughs> Forget a number. <laughs> never, never. And so, you know, that's laughable on its face, of course. But then we we jump into therapy and find out the real reason is that he's he's terrified that he's going to find out that she's not perfect and he's not perfect. And um, it's going to ruin this thing. And it's this fear. But what's so cool about that is after talking to Sean, what's he do? He goes to her place, you know, to see Skylar again and to give it a shot. He takes a risk. And it's so important because we see Sean's effect on Will. We have a very simple test. And it's such a great, beautiful, simple, subtle way to test characters against each other. And to see the effect that Sean is actually having on Will. To, to see that Will is abandoning. You have to demonstrate that first. You have to demonstrate that he's giving up on Skylar. And then you get an opportunity to see Sean give him advice and him to take it. He goes and follows up and he takes a shot. And that's, it's simple. It's a, it's a simple way to, to, to demonstrate whether or not therapy is having an effect on Will. Because beforehand, you might think this guy is never going to take therapy seriously. He's never going to give it a shot. But we build in these little tests uh, that, that give us an opportunity to see Will grow. And then, you know, as far as uh, being a character driven thing, we also see how characters who try to push Will, who try to push him into a narrative, right? We're, right now we're living in almost a narrative free life in this movie. But every time these characters try to push him into a narrative, uh, it doesn't go well, right? They get frustrated. Uh, Lambo is a complete failure in trying to propel Will to get a job or to help with his math research even. Like Will is so lackadaisical in it. Um, and by the end of it, right, he's just like, this is child's play. Do you know how simple this is to me? It's embarrassing. And similar, like Skylar fails to try to get Will to move in with her, to move across the country with her. Like these are all very movie things. Like we're trying to get Will to participate in being in a movie and he just refuses to. Uh, and I think it's just doubling down on the idea that this is not that kind of movie, that this is a character driven piece in order to, to have any satisfaction with that. 
well, let's take a look at that. And so let's talk about the climax and the ending. And I think it arrives through largely um, uh, Sean and, and Gerald Lambeau. Like we throughout the film, we kind of slowly get this inkling of their history and it just completely builds slowly until it erupts at the very end there. Um, right before Will walks in on mom and dad having their big fight. And I love it because it helps add a, a, an emotional climax to the film itself, right? Because at this point, Skylar's left, right? And Will has just watched her walk away. He refuses to admit that he loves her, but he won't deny it either. Um, and so she's leaving and, and, and it's so good because we're, we're kind of watching her at the airport watching for him but we'll talk about that in a second and so we watch her leave we hear chucky admit that he wants will to succeed and freaking leave you can't be successful and still be where he is uh chucky even knows that and then of course we have the the big emotional breakthrough uh when sean you know learns more about will's childhood and we start to put a, a much clearer face on that through that just brutal story of he would put down you know a branch belt and a wrench. Uh, and I love that so much. And he's like, <laughs> and Sean's like, gotta go with the belt. And, and Will's like, no, the wrench. Cause fuck him. That's why like, no one's going to hold anything over me and it's perfect. And so that's when we have this big breakthrough moment, right? Um, the acknowledgement. And it's so good because Will already knows he's like, is it all those things, detachment disorder and all that garbage. And uh, Sean's like, yeah, yeah, you know what it is. You know, and that I think kind of brings us back a little bit to the whole problem with Mary's room is now there Sean or uh, Will is experiencing what it means to uh, to to kind of give into his emotions a little bit and to stop. I don't know. I don't know that he's been holding Sean at a distance, but to some degree, he's been not letting him in the whole way. And so. I think it's perfect. We're looking because throughout the film, what we're really looking for is for Will to drop his defenses and to have a moment of catharsis. Like he refuses to be honest with uh, Skylar until he explodes. He just completely detonates on her, um, which is not cathartic. Like this is once again, you know, using your past as a weapon. And instead, you know, Will's actual uh breakthrough has an emotional breakthrough in that moment with Sean. But what I find interesting about that is that is our, our climax uh, is, you know, emotional catharsis through the, 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 the crying and, you know, Sean making sure he knows, Hey, this isn't your fault, etc. And, but what I think his actual victory is, is leaving town to chase Skyler. I think that's his actual victory. We don't see that until the very final scene, um, the credits, you know, and, it's important because this is him doing what he could not do before, which is to be vulnerable by leaving his comfort zone because Boston, and this goes back to Boston as a character because Boston was such a character in this film, it carries so much more weight to see him driving away. And I think that is so absolutely perfect as a usage of, you know, your city as a character, as a way to, to demonstrate uh, Will has evolved and now he's growing up. He's leaving this uh, this safe place that we've all come to kind of know and love and, and find comfort in. Um, and I think that's just such a beautiful use of a location uh, to demonstrate character growth. Um, yeah. And so. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. One of my one of my favorite moments 
um, also besides, you know, the obvious moment of the monologue, Sean's monologue is, um, um, the, you mentioned it earlier, the integration of the, um, uh, the baseball shots at when Sean was telling him when he met his wife. And I think, honestly, I think that's when Sean won mm. is that story. Yeah. That's the moment because they had already had the whole, like everything had already gone down, um, between them. And, and this is the first time I think it, I think it was the scene where, where Will broke the silence, right? Isn't that same session, wasn't it? Uh, a different session. Session three was when he, he, uh, or session four was when he broke the rule, uh, broke the, the silence with a joke about the, the airplane. Session five was when he uh, told the story about meeting his wife. Okay. I have notes on both because, of those. Because that's, that's good. It's good because there's a lot of them. Um, because it's, Will has a problem, obviously, with, you know, fear that people will leave him fear that he will not be that he will not succeed feel that he will fail but but mostly fear that like like i said that people will leave him so sean telling him the story of of he had tickets to this iconic game and obviously he didn't know that Butch was going to hit a home run <laughs> but but which is hilarious oh, yeah. at the end but it didn't matter what was happening around him it didn't matter who he was with where he was going what they were doing None of that mattered once he saw what he wanted and then he dropped everything and he went after what he wanted. He realized in that moment, that's what I want. And so I'm going to, everything I have now doesn't get me what I want. So I'm letting it, letting it go. And so Sean became an example of what, um, Will is going to try to do, yeah. right. Or, or like trying to get to. And th so I think at that moment, he, he was like, oh, okay, this guy has done it. And he's given me a life example, a life changing example of that, which is why he could have that breakthrough at the end where he says, it's not your fault. And Will can eventually, not at first, but eventually really believe him and, you know, hear what, hear what he really is saying, you know, from the, basically those moments, that moment on, but. That's a great observation. A beautiful moment. Yeah. And, and I love, I love how they, in, sorry to interrupt, but I love how they, it, uh, my point earlier, how they inter they intertwined all the real footage of the baseball game to real like you're in that you're in that game with Sean, you're you're there because you don't know he's not there yet, but he's telling the story like he's there and you're there with him and we're watching this and it's we're all together in Fenway Park and wait no I wasn't there no what are you talking about it's it was just so beautiful it's so much better than actually just than not having it in there and just him telling a story in the room, you know? So true. And just because you brought up that scene, I wasn't originally going to, this wasn't part of the notes I was, I was going to include in the show, but since you brought it up, uh, what's also really cool about that scene is we do the establishing shot of that scene through an overhead. We're looking straight down into the room. Oh yeah. That's cool because the room is now becoming a baseball diamond. That's mm. very much reflecting, you know, the story he's going to tell. And what's great about that is as the scene progresses, right. And you see Sean kind of run around the bases, um, knocking Will over and uh, doing the whole bit. But what's great is when we start that scene, Will starts on one side of the room and he ends at the other. And so effectively what Sean did was he advanced the runner from first base to third base. And I think it, it underscores the point you just made that yeah. that's when he won him over. Um, yeah. So now he's got him on his team. He's, he's right there. 
He just needs, he just needs to bun him in. It just is. Bun him home. Yeah. yeah. And that's at the end, that's all he's doing, right? He's like, hey, wow, great. We're not going to like, great spot there. Slam this thing. No, we're just going to kind of gently bring him home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty cool, man. Um, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, yeah. So mood and music and direction. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much to this. I think. So there's this scene after the the, the Harvard bar where they kind of drive home at sunrise and they're playing. I, I'm assuming that's Elliot Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, this acoustic, you know, uh, song. It's just this very chill, melancholy vibe. Um, but what it's also doing, it's it's giving you a vibe, but it's also kind of revealing how aimless their life is. They just kind of spent the whole night doing nothing. Now they're going home and that's kind of it. That was their night. And so we get it. It's there to give us a sense of the aimlessness of what they're doing in their life. And there's something you said before we hit record uh, that we're about to touch on. But the the theme music and the score, not the not the actual song songs, but the score, the you know kind of the theme that's running through the film. It's not very rhythmic, which I really love because it lets you seamlessly transition through moods. So we can start, you know, playing some some vibey music after whatever uh, a date and then transition that into a work session at the construction site and end at wherever you know um, a therapy session like you don't it, it allows us to just kind of vibe through the, the the scenes without having to really feel like this is going anywhere uh, whenever you get too rhythmic in a score it kind of creates an expectation in the in the viewer that oh we're going to go somewhere this is this is a part of a ride whereas if there's real no strong rhythm to it now you can seamlessly transition through these emotional tones like you can start with something that feels you know sweet and romantic and then move right into something that feels uh kind of hopeless and tired um and they do that you know throughout the films i forgot to actually note what those actual transitions are emotionally but i just remember the first time i watched it uh first time um i watched this movie like once or twice a year so that's hilarious but uh (laughs) for the show i watched this twice once just for me to just kind of hang out in the in the world and then the second time to kind of scribble some notes but i forgot to, to to actually write down what those emotional moods were as opposed to something uh, that's really cool about the the soundtrack and the score as well, I guess, is that it lets us move through these quick sequences without needing to settle in. Without the score, without these music uh, pieces, you get the feeling that, oh, we're going to hang out here in a wh- for a while. Whereas you can montage a little bit stronger through the use of music. It creates this vibe that creates a connection, a thread through these scenes. And so... Suddenly, you know, whenever you're hanging out with Will calling Skylar um, before she leaves for California, right? He's on the phone with her and then he's saying goodbye and she's saying, I love you. And he's hanging up like it's brutal. And then we just jump straight to the airport. Like there's no real transition there. It's just her in her apartment uh, or in her dorm room, her at the airport looking for Will while, <laughs> while Will is just, you know, at the park hanging out. And then we jump to Will at work while Lambo is calling, looking for him. And then before we finally settle in at work, like without the music there, that's just a very weird jumpy sequence. But with the music, 
suddenly you're getting the emotional uh, toll that this is all kind of taking on will. And you're, you're now just kind of sitting in a, in a vibe and you're montaging through this and it feels natural. It feels organic and like it all makes sense. And so using music in that way uh, is very smart and an intelligent way to kind of move the audience through the story without, you know, feeling weird and, and hoppy. And then I guess lastly, this is more of a directional note. Um, and they do this really well throughout the film. But I love this scene at the end, that same scene that you were talking about where Jenny's like, oh, fucking little brother, um, where Chucky goes to Will's empty house to discover Will's gone. My dream is uh, bitterly come to pass. But I, what I love about the sequence is, or the scene is I love how they really sit on that moment of Chucky realizing and accepting it and kind of celebrating it. They just let it wash over him as the music lifts us up. Uh, and it's it's so good because it's a very complete scene of him pulling up, walking up to the house, knocking, waiting, knocking, looking through the window, looking through another window, waiting, realizing, enjoying it, smiling, kind of turns finally and starts walking back to the, the car and kind of shrugs his, his, his hands and throws his hands up. You know, it's just like, I don't know. Hey. And of course, Chucky being such a, um, an idiot, like he's just happy to get the front seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love, I did love that scene. It's so long. It's so long, but it's so well-deserved because it's mm -hmm. uh, perfectly set up with that, that monologue with Chucky, uh, like describing how much he would hate Will for not, cashing in his lottery ticket mm -hmm. and so i love just staying there with him because i think if you move through that scene a little too fast it it feels weird and it it plays a little too melodramatically whereas if you give him that space you give him that time to churn through those emotions of uh like oh it's happening and how do i feel about this i feel i'm happy about this like you don't want to push through those emotions uh, or else you'll yeah. just end up cutting the scene altogether. Um, but allowing that scene to play out uh, really earns the uh, Will's moment of leaving town. Like it makes it official. Like he's really gone. He's really not coming back. Yeah. So I love it. I think a lot of us, I love that, that, that reference to a lottery ticket. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of us have those and it's, mm. it's, it's hard to see that we do a lot of times, uh, you know, we got a bunch of other shit that comes along with it, of course. But I think, I mean, if you were, if you had to pull a plot from this, if you, if you had to, cause I agree, I think it's, it's a character study. It's less than, um, more than, um, than actual plot driven. But if you had to pull something from it, it feels like that might be yeah. kind of it, but it, that's just an ancillary thing that happens just be just from the the, the progression of the character, but it's not really a story about that. But, but that is, and that is because of that scene where I would suggest that possibly because yeah. we all like to identify with the main character, even if the main character is like, you know, this like shitty Boston kid who likes to like beat people up. Right. Um, because he's brilliant and we all want to be brilliant. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, but that, that scene specifically, that was like, Ben Affleck's moment right in the in the whole film I mean he had his monologue when he told him when he told uh, um, Will you know you got to get out of here and that was great but I think he really solidified his role in the film with that scene that moment 
And that's hard. It's a hard moment to have. It's very, you know, we're both actors and we know how hard it is to, to like really sell a moment. It's almost like you can't really be in the moment to do it. You have, you have to be outside of whatever is happening in order to really capture it. And it's really hard to do, you know, when you're surrounded by crew and a camera in your face and you have lines or you're thinking, I got to hit beats, yeah. right? It's really, really difficult to do. And I feel like he just completely nailed it. It was wonderful. He did. And I think what helped him do that was, I think it's exactly what you just said. Like, I, I got to hit my beats because uh, my, my one of my old acting coaches, uh, CK uh, McFarlane, we used to love talking about moments of composition. And we discussed this way back on A Quiet Place, uh, mm-hmm. coincidentally, because, you know, there's this idea that let me make sure I let this moment settle. Like he's going through this. I'm waiting for him to just come to the door. So he has to let that moment. If he moves through that moment too quickly, now it's now it's just bad acting. Now it's just like, oh, it's what you would call indicating. Like you're just indicating uh, where the scene is going and uh, what you're feeling um, instead of real people need to wait. Real people need to experience like what it means that someone's not coming to the door. And so as an actor, you're you're making sure you're letting these moments settle on your face and in your posture and then maybe an eye movement. It is hard, man. Like you really let need to let these uh, moments of composition where you're composing a moment almost like a picture you think of your scene and you know i don't know if that he would do this uh, ben affleck but the way i would probably approach something like that is i think you're right a little more technically because i don't know how in the moment i could be by myself going through this motion uh, instead i would think about it in terms of pictures okay i had this first moment of going to the door to get my friend that's my first picture my friend isn't coming to the door that's my second picture my friend has cleaned his place out. That's my third picture. How do I feel about this? That's my fourth picture. I'm excited. That's my fifth picture. And then the rest mm-hmm. of the scene kind of carries you through. And so I'm thinking through all those four, you know, photographs and, you know, just trying to slowly transition between the two of them. I did this really, uh, Trent Moore, uh, my favorite acting coach actually, uh, would have us do this exercise where you, you have a monologue, and you have to do it and people are going to laugh because they think it's just stupid, uh, but it's so good and it's so effective. But he was like, I want you to perform this uh, not exactly interpretive dance, <laughs> which I know sounds you know silly, uh, but through gestures, physical gestures without saying any words. I want you to think of what's a physical gesture that would that's very strong and would, you know, determine what would it look like if you were to say, I'm going to the door to, to get my friend? Okay. Now what's your, what, what's it feel like when your friend isn't coming to the door? How do you feel? Uh, and you literally create this gesture. Maybe that first gesture is you're reaching your hand out and it doesn't have to be, you know, this pantomime thing where I'm knocking at the door. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying create an actual physical gesture of, Oh, I'm reaching out to my friend. And now this is your first moment and create a strong posture with it. Like your, your feet are, you know, very strong and you're doing something with confidence because every single day your friend is there. So do it with confidence. I'm reaching out to my friend and hold it 
Now transition to whatever your next thing would be. Uh, maybe in this case, you're feeling rejected. My friend isn't home. And so what does that look like? Uh, maybe it's you curled up in, in a fetal position. Like now move into that position. And so it's just this very interesting way of kind of diagnosing your scene and the emotional moments of it. And like, okay, now you've performed this thing through all five of your uh, physical gestures. Okay, now do the scene again, keeping those in your mind. Don't actually do them, but now perform the scene thinking about those things. Um, and it's incredible. Like you would be surprised. That's amazing. Yeah, the way that these things impact, you know, your performance and the, your approach to a scene. Like, uh, because now they kind of just creep into your physical posture. And yeah, anyway, there's all these little fun things that, that happen uh, behind the scenes for actors that you would never guess. Uh, because everyone's more familiar with method actors and you're just becoming the person. Yeah. There's there's so many other tools and method acting is my least favorite. Like I'll use it here and there, but for the most part, I like these other mental gestures and physical gestures and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Boston. No, Great I'm points, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this other little thing I was debating if, you know, we'd, touch on i'll link it in the show notes but there is a real story of a guy who shows up to college he shows up late and i forget, i think he's in grad school or something but he shows up late to class and the professor had put on the board a bunch of these unsolvable problems uh algorithms or whatever that have no proofs and then he was just demonstrating to the class that Hey, these are things, here's some problems that have yet to be proven. But this guy shows up late to class thinking that it's homework. And so he goes home and he solves the problems. What? <laughs> His name is oh my God. George Danzig. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, but it's an incredible story. Like uh, he went on to be a very, you know, well-known uh, mathematician as you would hope. <laughs> like, um, yeah, right, right. But it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's an incredible story. I don't know if, you know, Matt Damon took any uh, inspiration from that or if it's just a coincidence. Because that was in 1986, I want to say, which is a decade before okay. this film came out. But pretty cool nonetheless. Yeah. Man, that's that's crazy. That just makes me think of the, just the power of the human mind to manifest things. Like the idea, uh, I heard a story at one point, and it might just be like a folklore about somebody who was uh, trapped in a, uh, he got locked in a, a refrigerated train car, right? And he froze to death. Oh, shit. But the the temperature wasn't below freezing. What? It was just literally because he thought he he was in a freezer. No way. That he died. Right? And I don't know that that is I heard that, you know, like secondhand. I'm not saying that that actually happened, but okay. like stuff like that, stuff like that happens mm -hmm. all the time. This is a great example of, oh, I I'm expected to do this, so I got to figure out a way to do it, and then you just do it. <laughs> But if you sat, if, if that guy sat down and was like, okay, this is unsolvable. Now I'm going to try to solve it. Probably never solve it. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's brilliant. He, he might've anyway, but it's just amazing. That's, in, I love stories like that. Same. Can't get yeah. enough of it. Um, no. Yeah. Is there anything really left unsaid about Goodwill hunting? No, I, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Okay. But, uh, except maybe do you like apples? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not going to finish it. Okay. Leave that for, <laughs> leave that for, for uh, uh, Matt Damon. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic, so, man. Yeah. Nice. Nicely done, sir. Um, you oh, too. one last thing. And this is just silly. There's this line of dialogue that I love uh, because it's so simple in, in its implication, which is when he's trying to explain to Skylar how his gift works. He's like, mm, you know, mm-hmm. a piano. I, I just see, you know, whatever box of wood. Uh, but he's like, look, I can't paint a masterpiece. I probably can't hit the ball out of Fenway. And what I love about that is he, before he says that, he lists a few things that he probably can't do. He's like, I can't, you know, build an Empire State Building and I can't paint the Sistine Chapel and I can't write the next great American novel and I probably can't hit the ball out of Fenway. I love the probably Probably. Yeah. I love that because in him, that's such a Boston thing to say in the sense that I love baseball and I think I could probably hit one out of Fenway park. Like it's such a, like he doesn't want to admit that he can't, you know, hit one out of Fenway, but he's like, Hey, there's a chance. I I, I probably can't. (laughs) Yeah. It's just (laughs) an indication of his internal like belief about himself uh, in it with a baseball bat. Like I love that. Yeah. That was, I caught that too. Nice. That's great. So what are you going to recommend this week? Um, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to flip over to the Matt Damon train, uh, just cause I, I've, I've loved so much of what he's done, everything from all the born films and, you know, later and, uh, oceans 11 and stuff. I just, I just think he's a fantastic actor, but, um, the next film, I think it was the next film he did was rounders. Um, and I just loved that movie, yeah. you know, uh, Edward Norton's in that film, who's also an incredible actor. And I, there's something about gambling movies where, you know, the stakes are really high that I just, I don't know. I I, I just love that kind of like film and, and visceral kind of uh, feeling that you get from those kinds of films. And I, I just, I loved Rounders. I thought it was great. This is such a tough one for me because on the one hand, they reference uh, a story whenever Lambeau and... Sean are talking about a, a guy named Ramana John. Mm-hmm. And there's a film about that actually with Dev Patel. It's called the man who knew infinity. Um, and it's solid, but even harder than that is there's a couple of other therapy uh, films, you know, projects. Uh, one, one is called in treatment. That's got Gabriel Byrne and HBO is about to revive it. And what's brilliant about that show is they would do it five days a week Every, for five days a week. They would air a new episode because it reflected his own uh, treatments. Like on Monday, he had this one woman. Um, and then on Tuesday, he had this teenage girl. And then on Wednesday, whoever, um, Irfan John uh, Khan, uh, who was incredible. And then on like Friday, uh, you know, he was in his own therapy session with his own uh, therapist. And now they're about to revive it, like with a new therapist and a whole new cast. And so part of me really, really wants to uh, like, make sure people watch that. But I think I got to go with another film that, and this will be the one that you'll find in the show notes. It's called the Antoine Fisher story. It's a true story Hmm. and it's written by Antoine Fisher. Um, And it's, uh, I want to say Denzel Washington's first uh, film that he directed. And I just think it's absolutely incredible. It's if, if you're looking for something else that has this goodwill hunting vibe, but is true and is like just maybe even a thousand times more emotionally like impactful uh you probably can't go wrong with the antoine fisher story so wow okay that out 
yeah. So stay tuned for next week. We're going to do uh, a film that we have been on uh, tenterhooks for called A Quiet Place 2. Could not tell you how excited we are for this. I know Todd yeah. is champing at the bit like a madman. Um, yeah, baby. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. We'll be covering that. And then don't forget, subscribe, review us on iTunes. Leave us a note. If there's a film you want us to talk about, let us know. We'll probably cover it. In fact, after A Quiet Place 2, we are going to be covering uh, a film that was requested by one of our reviewers. So if you really want to get us to, to cover a film, um, leave a review. If you haven't already left a review, we'd really appreciate appreciate you diluting <laughs> our bad reviews. Yeah. Um, but whatever. If you want to leave us a note on this episode and talk about why this is or is not the best movie ever, or at least the perfect movie, because I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie of all time, though it may be one of the most watched uh, by me. Anyway, you can do that at thepestpodcast.com slash goodwillhunting. And our quote of the day is from Robin Williams, of course, this being the third in the, the trilogy we're, we're covering right now. You're only given a little spark of madness. You mustn't lose it. It's so perfect for him, for, for all of us, but coming from him, it's so perfect. You know, yeah. he's just, he's the best. There's no, there's never been anyone like him. There'll never be anyone like him. And um, he had that madness, but it was like this, this, madness doused in love and you couldn't you couldn't ever reproduce it man you couldn't ever manufacture it it just is or it isn't and we all it's wonderful for him to like give that to people by saying we're all given a little spark you you gotta find it and cultivate it and let it grow it's it's a beautiful quote i'm glad you glad you picked this one thanks you got nothing nothing all right Okay. Well, thank you. This has been so much fun, man. I, I really appreciate you uh, allowing us to do this film. I know it's one of your favorites. It's fantastic. And it's the best way to to go out on our Robin Williams trilogy there. Uh, so like Wes said, please review us five stars, preferably, or whatever you feel. No big deal. Um, and let us know if there's a film that you want to review us to review. And, and we'll try to do our best to do it. And join us next week when we'll be covering A Quiet Place 2. Until then, I am Todd. I am Wes. Go watch some movies. Tell me about your father.